Eastern Siwan tribe, and I've dedicated a lot of my life to um, social environmental justice and rights. And I think uh, a big part of my life is being, you know, a bridge those communities. My mom's white, she's French, which is like, you know, transparent white, blonde, straight hair. And then, you know, my dad is being Monacan, so I feel like I can kind of be the translator between, uh, you know, these two beautiful peoples. And I feel like it's a big responsibility, you know, um, you know, being mixed to try to translate between these tribes that are having trouble, um, you know, understanding each other's intentions and, um, you know, nobody's perfect, no race is perfect. And um, I think a lot of my work um, has come, one, just trying to, you know, remind my Monacan people to be proud of who they are because a lot of our history was you know, erased and, you know, taken over with alcoholism and a lot of, you know, a lot of darkness. So that was a big part of my journey is finding pride, you know, in that part of uh, my ancestry. I think that goes, you know, for a lot of people that are, you know, not just native peoples, but also most melanated peoples, you know what I mean? To try to be like, whoa, hold up, wait a minute, I'm amazing. I've got so much, you know, that I, I can, you know, delve into and study and be proud of. And so a lot of my work has been surrounded, you know, around those themes of, you know, not only environmental justice, but also like remembering, just remembering, you know, our superpowers and who we are and who our people, you know, like, I think that's really important for us to take a step back and remember how powerful, um, you know, our people are and how, how powerful our ancestors were and to be reminded, like, you know, how strong they were, even for us to be born and, you know, like, wow, like they were fighters, they were survivors and it, it makes you feel a sense of responsibility you know? I agree. And now, yo, that's like, you already said some things that touch base on, like, the topics we're going to be discussing. So I'm already mm -hmm. hyped. Uh, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, I do a lot of work here in Brazil with, the, you know, indigenous tribes, with the Yawanawa, and also the Huni Queen. Um, so we've been doing, like, a lot of, you know, just clean water projects, basic things, like, okay, let's get things in order as far as clean water go and accessibility, and then, you know, we can focus on other stuff. But um, I'm out here, you know, really fighting for the primary forest, which I believe is really important for us, you know, oxygen first, and then we can bitch about our little differences <laughs> later, you know? <laughs> so this is where I'm at. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that, though. But uh, I kind of, like, pressed record a little bit mid-speech, but it's okay, because I'm just going to, like, let everybody know. We're episode four, Students of Scholar, starring Amy Cicada. She just gave out a little update <laughs> on who she is. Uh, personally, I've been following you for about damn near almost a decade and just watching, yeah. um, you know, first it started off with like you and Nagin's work and then I, I branched off really paying more attention to yours individually and just like, mm -hmm. you know, I was just like taken by, you know, just the depth that you're willing to go when it comes to your creative projects and like, you know, you're mm -hmm. not afraid to like touch those, those taboo boundaries as they would say. And I, I really I... appreciate that. The, um, Specifically, though, the Now Project stood out to me in a multitude of ways. But uh, I'm mm. going to just save those questions. But we're going to get back to the first category, which is uh, travel. Mm. So how many places have you been or how many countries have you been? Oh, man. I mean, just, just for work alone, I think like over 20 at least. Mm. Um, but I, mean, I always liked to travel. I don't know, I, I was just really inspired from a young age, you know, because I grew up in New York and I remember working in a restaurant when I was young and, and the dishwasher, he was from Mali. 
And he told me, you know, I, I came to America. I had like $7. I didn't speak one word of English. And I was like, wow, this guy's so brave. Like, I want to be brave like that, you know? <laughs> like, so I, you know, you get inspired by the immigrants that come through New York with their crazy stories. And, you know, you want to you just go out there and test yourself, you know? So you only did 20, 20 countries for work? Or I mean, like, leisure too? Like, where have you been? I mean, I really, I, I love Southeast Asia, uh, especially Bali. Bali really inspired me um, so much, just like their culture, their spirituality, um, just them as a people, you know, what, what, what they stand for. And, you know, like their whole life is just, you know, evolves around ritual, you know, around, you know, the, you know, wake up and make these flower offerings to, you know, the sunrise and flower offerings to the sunset. And they're constantly praying and, so connected to nature and just like a really like a well-preserved indigenous culture and a lot of Southeast Asia is like that. So it made me feel like, you know, you're going back in time, you're like, wow, this is the way we all were at one time. We lost our yeah, way. And Right. I agree with that. And, uh, yeah. you know, like, I don't know if you've been to a place that stood out to me with like Angkor Wat or how do you, however you say that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, places. I yeah. think uh, a clip of you dancing in front of uh, one of those temples and stuff there, or was that? In Thailand, yeah, 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 it was in Thailand. That was a powerful place, yeah. Yeah, that's my I mean, that, 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 uh, that's what I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> this is a, a place of prayer and people come here to pray, then I'm just gonna dance in front of it. And, and right. that's my prayer, you know what I mean? Yeah, that moniker you have on your Instagram, uh, prayer in motion, like that's, that's on another level, like. <laughs> mm. But, um, yeah, like you mentioned the Southeast Asia and stuff, but what are the other places that were uh, that you visited that were most powerful for you? You know that you had like oh well, my sister, my sister lived in Senegal in Africa for uh, seven, eight years almost, mm -hmm. and so I would always go over there, you know, to visit her, visit family and stuff, and that was one of the places that really you know humbled me and and so many different levels and just opened up my eyes. You know what I mean? Like they were just so communal and so like you know they um i don't know they just really like had each other's back you know so like the family unit was so strong and you know they really like you would go over there and you know you eat a big meal with the family and everybody eats off the same plate and then after dinner you know they're making you tea and then grandma's beatboxing like they all know like you know oh. the language of the drum so it's not like oh there's just this cool hip artist that happens to know the language of the drum it's like everybody your grandma your auntie the kids like everybody is a part of it and you just you know you feel so home because you know it's not like a special thing to dance or beatbox or you know play play the drum it's just human you know and that was one of the first you know you know places where i was like damn i always felt like I like to do a lot of things and play with a lot of different mediums. I want to sing, I want to dance, I want to play music. And then people say, oh, you know, then you're not going to master anything. You need to focus on one thing. This is like the American way. And in Africa, they're like, if you're an artist, you're an artist. That means you have that, you have that sensitivity. You can do anything. Anything you touch is going to be magic because that's your birthright. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that makes sense, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they really, they woke me up. They woke me up to, you know, me discovering my own potential and not putting limitations on myself and just being like, oh, you're an artist and don't, you know, don't put yourself in, you know, I'm this or I'm that. Like, you're an artist, you know? Yeah, I think that's, that's healing on many levels for, well, I think just everybody who listens to this to definitely have some type of revelation just from that message. But, um, mm -hmm. yo, the, my late, my next question. So, um, 
did you have any past life connections with the countries you visited? No, did you oh, definitely, definitely. Remembering, you know, in the beginning of the you know introduction. Definitely. Well, I mean, I first came to Brazil in 2003 because of Capoeira, and I was like, yo, I just want to go. I love the music. I loved Capoeira. I wanted to study. I was actually chasing after this one mestre that um, I really respected his work, and I wanted to find him. It was like kind of like a movie, like how it was like, all right, I got to find where this guy lives and show up at his door and be like, please train me. You yeah, know? that is a movie. <laughs> the karate but, like, that's, Exactly. It was kind of once a karate kid shit. It was really pathetic, <laughs> but... That's that's how I first came to Brazil in 2003. But I remember like, you know, first time I stepped on the beach and I just had like this moment and I stuck my hands in the sand and I just felt like the zap, like boom. And I just started like crying, like all these tears down my face and my whole body was vibrating. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I was in this crazy meditation. Like I couldn't move for like maybe an hour, an hour and a half. I was just stuck in one position, my back like hella straight. And I just got these downloads. Like I felt like the earth was like putting something in my body and I didn't really understand the connection and what was going on. But I knew that this land was really special for my service and, you know, for my lineage and for my soul, I was supposed to be there. And I found out like five or six years later, actually, when I was producing Nau and I was going through my own, you know, lineage and stuff. Cause I, you know, I have like a kind of a history with my dad. I didn't really know like a lot of, you know, my indigenous heritage because my dad is alcoholic and kind of got the dark side of that, you know, and kind of pulled myself away from the connection with my dad. So at the time I did Nau when I was dealing, we were bringing all these tribes together because that was the time of, of Standing Rock and everything. And I was like, wait, I want to know more about my heritage. Maybe I do need to talk to my dad and talk to my aunties. And, you know, I started to do research and I found out that my great-great-grandmother was actually from Brazil and she was put on a ship, she was tricked and put on a ship and they were t telling her basically, oh, we're gonna like, you know, send you back here, we're gonna get you paid work and whatever, whatever. And she, they, they stopped in Virginia and, and like she ran off the ship because they were trying to go sell her as a slave in Portugal and she was like a, you know, a light-skinned black woman. So she escaped, she ran off into the hills and met my grandfather who was indigenous and, you know, he saved her basically like on some, hey, you can hide out here. So I didn't even know that I had any kind of connection to Brazil at all when I first got here. So to me, that was some past life shit. That was an unfinished you know, business. She wanted me to come back here and be like, listen, you know, connect the Americas, be that bridge. I got unfinished work and, you know, you can sign up here, you know, like that, that, that felt like some really powerful past life shit. So have your dreams gotten more vivid since then? I mean, just when I'm in this country, I feel, I feel the spiritual support, you know what I mean? I, I feel like my ancestors are with me and they're really happy about the work that I'm doing. But um, it also feels like a blast from the past because, you know, in the Americas, it's like the indigenous culture is considered like, you know, some kind of, you know, like, like, like an old movie or something, or it's, it's romanticized as something that's dead and, you know, it's not like our culture is, is very, very alive, you know, and it, but it definitely has, it struggled so much more than the indigenous cultures here in Brazil, because, you know, they were in areas where you literally could not even, you know, arrive. You have to take a boat for four days and hike into the jungle and, you know, deal with anacondas and God knows what else to even, you know, like to, <laughs> to find them. Yeah. So they were more protected. You know what I mean? Like even the Huni Queen who I deal with now, they were only discovered 60 years ago. So they still hold on to their indigenous languages, their indigenous ways. They know who they are, their identities there. It wasn't stripped from them. 
So as a person that, you know, it comes from the Americas where so much of our culture was taken away from us and we're trying to remember who we are and remember our language and, you know, that just felt really powerful to, um, you know, to connect with these indigenous peoples that are really secure in their identity and their ways and their culture. It, it made me feel more powerful. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that's profound. You know, I, Brazil has been like a place I've been seeking to go for a while. I just haven't found like the exact uh, mode of transport, you know, on a business end to get there. But uh, mm. it'll happen in divine time. We'll take care of that. We'll take care of those details. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Divine time, it'll get there. But um, yeah, so I don't want to seem like I move too fast, but like I know I want to respect your time as well. But um, spirituality is the next topic. You know, you've been giving me gems and stuff. So I think their listeners are going to like have a lot of homework. But so we're going to talk about spirituality in the sense we've already been on that topic. But it's just uh, a few specified questions. So, um, Personally, have you heard of the world tree theory? The world tree theory? Yes. So I'll take that as a No. No. All right. So some, somewhere along the lines, they're saying that uh, a lot of the things that we're told that are mountains were actually world trees that have been cut down and that they have calcified, no, I'm sorry, petrified, and they are actually uh, petrified tree trunks instead of, you know, um, mountains. But if it's a larger tree, when it hardens, it would be, you know, somewhere tougher than rock or any substance that we can break. But that's the, that's the whole theory to say that um, these world trees help balance the Earth's vibration and they were placed on the ley lines of the Earth. That's why you have certain landmarks like in um, Arizona when they have like the uh, Grand Canyon. They say mm. the world tree over there um, with the, uh, along the original pyramids of Egypt as well as uh, a world tree being, I think, I think there was one in Brazil, as well as one in being in Africa, and then they said there's one in Sweden or Norway. But they said all these were cut down. This is the theory. Wow. So I wanted to ask you that primarily because I know when you travel that planes take certain flight paths, but just, you know, you being connected and, you know, just uh, tapped in as you are, I want to know if you received any insights to that or just, you know, certain things you may have come across through history books that you realize from that personal encounter that it may or may not be true at all. It could just be fabricated indeed. I mean, I've never heard of, of the world tree theory, but um, I do spend a lot of time on the res uh, with my Navajo brothers in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And um, they definitely, um, you know, they have strong beliefs in their origins, you know, that they came from you know the first sky believing this is the second sky and they came through certain caves that are there in arizona and that they came here you know with their buffalo and with their intentions because people were mistreating the first sky so um I, but i've never heard of the the world trees you know i i could ask my navajo brothers but i never heard them refer to it so it's really interesting theory it's it's well, I'm like, interested. <laughs> it's, it's one of them, but then, like, there's other things. Like, you say in Africa, you might have heard of, like, uh, the creation story from the Dogen tribe. And they're mm -hmm. right. So, like, there's tidbits of creation stories around the world. But, you know, in my personal endeavors, I feel like each of them hold a truth. And it's just a matter of figuring out where they synthesize. And that's what I've been looking for. But the world, right. the world tree theory stood out to me just because, like, it was just a new way to look at mountains because it does, if you entertain that thought, it does look like something was like broken off instead of, you know, as like the tectonic plates rising. Like it's just certain approaches that don't make sense after you give it some thought. 
But I wanted to I, express that and uh, hear your side if you had a side for it. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, the most I can say is that I don't know. <laughs> you know, I no mean, any, of us, <laughs> any of us don't really, we don't really know shit. No, you know, we, right? no we don't know. We don't <laughs> But I mean, there's there's a lot of that going on because you have, you know, now like the whole flat earther thing and everybody oh, like, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot. And the truth is, I can't even say that they're wrong because the truth is, I don't fucking know. So, you know, but like things, things that really interest me is, you know, I have, um, actually my boyfriend is a flat earther, so I deal with this a lot. Uh, he, <laughs> he was showing me, he was showing me like, okay, but in the, you know, Vedic scripture and stuff and they're going through all these layers. I don't know if you know about the gunas and all these things and you know, just applying like all these different energetic layers, which, you know, there's energetic layers in our bodies and, you know, so within it is without and kind of things, you know, these, these kind of ideals that make sense to me, you know what I mean? So I kind of like, there's so many different like ancient cultures that kind of, um, they just, they just, you know, will speak about things in these layers and talk about, okay, there's seven layers of heaven or seven layers of hell or this or that, or, you know, there's, three skies or two skies or different layers that, you know, we, we go depending on your frequency depends on, you know, the reality or which, which earth that, that you do reside in, you know what I mean? And maybe we started in layer one and we moved to layer seven, or we don't really know how it all works. We just know that we got to do our best each day and try to stay connected to creator and however he designed it is his design. And honestly, I don't really care what the shape of the planet is, but I do care that my connection with him is strong, you know? Yo, that's the honest truth, and like, but like, I'm that guy who's just like, I need to know, cause I know, I know the agenda, and like how like they working so hard to keep us dumb, and you know, and our minds numbed and stuff. So I, you know, I be trying to get as much information as I can. But mm -hmm. yeah, I appreciate you divulging more on that. <laughs> but yeah, go get into this next question though. I know people are like this man while I'm clicking off, but <laughs> so we're gonna say um. Yeah, so tell us, what's your ideal meditation environment out in nature? You know, like, what was the best spot or the best spots? Oh, man, that's, that's a really hard question because, like, each element brings such a, a, different, a different kind of healing, you know? I think um, the ocean is really powerful for me right now. feels very motherly, you know? But, like, that mother that you're scared of, you know what I mean? You still have a fear of her, but you're, you know... You do want her embrace at the same time. I think um, just like the sound of the ocean and being in her presence, you know what I mean? So many people that I've met, especially working in the Amazon, they've never seen the ocean. They've heard about it. So just like, you know, it's to step back for a minute and be like, wow, it's such a privilege to, you know, step to the edge of this landmass where, you know, earth meets water. And just that, that's such a powerful, you know, place. Ain't nobody, yeah, a lot. they've never seen the ocean? Most, most never have. And, you know, there's a lot of people in Brazil and most people in India. I mean, a lot of people, like, you know, we don't even stop to think about that in America because oh. we're like, oh, yeah, okay, we could drive to the beach or fly there. Or, you know, everyone you know has at least seen the ocean one time. Exactly. You know, I met an older woman here in Brazil. She was indigenous and she, you know, she came from the mountains in Minas Gerais and, you know, we ended up bringing her to the beach for a project and she dropped on her knees and she started praying and crying. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen because she'd never seen the ocean before. And we take that kind of stuff for granted, you know, and just like the power, the power of, 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 of that, you know, intersection of those elements, I think is really powerful. But honestly, like any body of water, I think it is the most powerful for me. Um, you know, it goes from especially waterfalls or 
you know, um, you know, any water that's flowing, I feel like, uh, if I can just sit and be, you know, cleansed by that water, you know, um, it's really powerful for me, but I mean, it's all powerful. You know what I mean? Maybe you, you find like there are certain trees, like, um, certain trees you just feel really deep connection with and you just sit with that tree and, you know, you meditate on, a, on, on its resilience, how it survived so long, you know, and, um, I spent a, you know, a little time in the desert, I, you know, I lived in Nevada for a year and I was just so amazed at the nature there and how resilient it was. And it reminded me of my own resilience. You know what I mean? Like, okay, like whatever is thrown at you, like you're going to find a way because look, this nature has found a way and it's in, you know, the worst possible scenario. You know what I mean? It's 120 degrees and no water and it's still these, these plants are out here chucking, you know, and it, it reminds me of your own, of, of my own strength. You know what I mean? So every, I think every place, you know, every, every, every place in the world can, you know, remind you of something, you know, that's, that's, that's innate, that's um, inside of you that, that can be called upon, you know, when needed, there's no best or better. It's, it's, it's all, um, you know, equally beautiful, and powerful, you know? Mm. All right, Cicada. So we're going to, um, switch gears a little bit but how are we looking mm. on time as far as on your end you know how we how we looking we're good yeah yeah like another half hour we go till like nine o'clock that's good oh well you i wouldn't even i'm, I'm grateful i wouldn't expect that i much. mean i'm <laughs> hey yo but we're gonna knock these questions out though we ain't gonna do too much but um so yeah the next category is the topic of today which is system, systemic racism and um mm. i did want to ask you you know, specifically because you are a woman, the divine feminine. So I wanted to get, hear your perspective on what do you feel about the Breonna Taylor case? Oof, that case in particular. I mean, honestly, um, to speak from my heart, mm -hmm. I, I, there's so many cases that um, are similar. And I was kind of a little bit um, put off by that was the case that blew up in the media because it was a case that was really easy for people to be like, oh, but she was involved with this guy and oh, but maybe this and maybe that. And there's so many cases where there's not a maybe this and maybe that, but that was a case where, you know, it blew up and people could look at it from a couple different perspectives and try to justify whatever happened, you know? So I was kind of upset that that was the particular case that blew up. I don't know if that makes sense, you know, because there's so many cases where it's just like, no, homie just dragged him out the car and shot him in the head. You know what I mean? And there's right. no ifs, ands, or buts. Homie was fucking wrong and that cop needs to be in jail, you know? Right. So they, they just, it was weird how the media allowed that particular case to blow up. Um, and I felt like that kind of, let's say like in the, you know, conservative white communities were like, yeah, but we don't really know what happened because she was involved with the wrong kind of whatever and so it was just a case that gave a window of opportunity for people that doubted that situation and the truth is nobody really knows what happened except for the people that were there mm -hmm. but it just it kind of made me like you know like open my eyes a little bit wider and be like i don't know why the media decides to choose this case in particular because we know this is happening every fucking day and usually that's not the case that you know they had a warrant and that were there were drugs involved and you know that that's not usually the case. Usually the case is they're just fucking with you for no fucking reason. Mm. So um, 
it did really bother me that 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 was you know the case they decided to blow up you know because yeah, I like uh, I can't even say whether they're right or wrong because I don't know because I wasn't there and then you know you know that's because you can see through it like that whole facade like you know they put it up there because of the loopholes and that would create like an uproar amongst the people but um right but like, I feel like it was a little strategic it was just a little strategic to have people you, you know bitching over it and choosing sides and it's like all right this is the timing of this and everything it just seems a little bit too strategic you know yeah, it was like hit after hit, you know, what society's been going through these past few months and the past year. But uh, I want to divulge further on that, but just like your own, through your own personal experiences, you know, you being a woman, but also a woman that, you know, is a globetrotter also. And what have you seen in comparison as far as systemic racism in the Western world versus mm. your travels around the world? In my travel, I feel like, people are judged more from the money they have, you know, and, um, you know, how well you praise the golden calf. They're not really concerned. You know, I, I, I lived in India for a while and that really um, changed me in a lot of ways because I realized, wow, they're, they're not concerned. They all have the same color skin, but they will still as humans find a way to divide themselves and say, I'm better than you for this or for that. And it, it, it's like, all right. So even if we, if we healed racism, then we would still find a way to separate ourselves as human beings. We want to find a way why one is superior to the other. So then they find money or status or fame or whatever it is. They'll, they'll, they'll try to find something else. So I think it's just, you know, the, the, I definitely have a lot of holistic beliefs when it comes to health. And so that expands to even these, these issues of, of, of race, you know, going back to the, the core of the problem, the root of the problem, instead of treating, you know, like the, the effect, the cause and effect and all this shit, you know what I mean? Like going back to the core of it is people, these melanated peoples, you know, remembering their power and how amazing they are and loving themselves. And, you know, all of those things were trying to be stripped away from us, of us educating ourselves. And so that she will no longer affect us and be like, bitch, should you know who I am? Do you know how powerful I am? Like, no, that no longer affects me, you know? And then I feel like everything else will fall in its place when we remember our power and stop praising these golden cap gods that they want to convince us that, you know, is the most important, more important than our families and more important than our expression and our gods and everything. So it's, it's, um, I think like that's something that I saw in my travels at least was like, if it's not race, it's going to be something else because this is a, at core. It's a, you know, it's, it's a person that is trying to find value is trying to feel important is trying to, you know, feel like they're worthy of something, you know, because they don't really, feel that connection, like they're desensitized. They're not connected to God. If you have that connection to that higher power, you feel important, you feel special, and you don't need anybody to make you feel valid or, you know what I mean? So those, those things of, you know, maybe not having as much money as the other guy or trying to prove yourself or your importance, those things no longer matter because you know your worth as a human being, regardless of whatever your color or how much money you've got. So I think it is time for us to really go back to, you know, the root of the problem. And then, and that's like our relation with creator. You know what I mean? Like people have been so, you know, desensitized and that's been strategic also, yes. you know, yes, absolutely strategic. So it's just trying to wake up and, and it's time to fucking wake up and remember who we are, you know? And, uh, you know, speaking of that, like, I just want to share this tidbit with you also, like, 
now I've been on my own quest for the past few years about finding my ancestry and just this year came upon, you know, a lot of chunk of information about it. So I was able to trace back that my ancestry begins, well not begins, but it's connected to the Gullah Geechee people, which is uh, some Africans from this transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade that that were ended up living in South Carolina, North Carolina area. But they uh, maintain mm. their cultural tradi traditions and heritage through like certain practices and just like the dialect, kind of like broken English or what they would say is Ebonics or slang, but it actually, when you uh, translate it, it ends up being some Geechee, some Geechee language. Now they connect, back, they connect back to a tribe in, uh, in Africa called the Kissy people. And that's a tribe that borders between the countries of Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Liberia. But they also, mm. they are, they're also tribes that are connected with the Gullah Geechee from, they're the Mindy people, as well as the Vai people, and uh, a few more. But they've, uh, they've already had like the, the president of their country come to America and establish that connection through their, um, like a whole ceremony and stuff. And just wow. like, they were able to familiarize the dialect and see like the, uh, the correlations between the two. And they do considered like the Gullah Geechee as a part of the Sierra Leone family and just their distant cousins. So I said all that to say, you know, that definitely liberated me on profound levels because I don't feel like I'm just a victim of circumstances anymore because now that I know that there is roots, I have um, a stronger sense of pride and my no is that much more valid and I stand 10 toes down on it because I know that that ain't where I'm from. Like I'm not, this narrative that you've been trying to give me. So it does mm. help me sit in the throne of my power and also direct my own fate and just uh, be more proactive in manifesting my destiny and my, uh, you know, what I truly desire. So I think that's what you said right. and getting back to the roots. Yeah, you are the son of the survivors. You know, I, I can't say anything more like that. That should make you feel so incredibly powerful, you know? <laughs> feel like I'm superhuman like you are <laughs> <laughs> right and you know they with you you got your whole crew behind you like what's <laughs> up where are we going what are we doing next <laughs> Back, like I do it, it, it is liberating so like you know everything that you're saying which is really validating and confirming a lot of that stuff and so like just even inviting you to be on this this podcast like gave me um I just had a good feeling a nice warm feeling when reaching out to you about mm -hmm. it and I felt like you know the words you speak would definitely carry weight to them you know, for um, mm. to the next generation, because people who are going to watch this are those who want to know and seek more through dance and other devices as well. So, I mm. didn't yeah, we haven't even touched on dance. Shit. <laughs> oh, see, yeah, because I was trying to show them like the human side. Like, everybody, you, you're kind of famous for the dance part already, but people sometimes forget that you're a human. So I was trying to like, you know, get them to see that part. But yeah, we can get into this dance stuff. So, but I want to touch base on Capoeira. You know, I've been a hobbyist, I would say, for about <laughs> three years because I haven't been training with, with anyone, so it's been me practicing moves. But uh, mm. how did you start your capoeira journey? I started with Mestre um, João Grande, mm -hmm. and he's, um, you know, one of the the more famous Angola mestres, you know, which I, I felt like it was a really good place to start, you know, with foundation and understanding like the importance of the music and the instruments and the language. It's, a, it's such a holistic practice, you know, and um, a martial art that I really respect because, you know, for anyone who plays music, you know, you kind of, you get into this frequency, you get into this vibe and kind of this trance-like state when you play music. 
So going into that state and, you know, playing the instruments and then being like, all right, passing the instrument on once you've pulled yourself into that meditation, you know, that meditative state and then going into spar, that's the next level. Yeah, it is. So that's like, I mean, that's something that you can't get by training by yourself. That's something you only get when you're in a hoda. And so, you know, Zhao Granji passed that to me. He's, you know, a very respected elder in the Capoeira community. I think now he almost has 92 years, you know. Um, and then I, I, I ended up, you know, going after, I was like, wow, well, I really want to, you know, expand and see the evolved form of Capoeira and play with Asian all and try the other styles. And, you know, they really pushed me into the, the more like violent contact. Like I was seeing teeth flying out of people's mouth and, you know, I was like, whoa, okay, shit. Now it's not just, I, you know, I can, yeah. I can play with you and pretend like I'm going to shoot not you. Everybody <laughs> Yeah, like these people are really trying to kick me in the face. And, you know, in America, there's not so much contact. Um, but when I came to Brazil, especially being a woman, it was like, you know, I was the only woman in the entire Hoda. And all these men are like going at it. And they're like, ah, you know, like my first day of training, they're like, all right, get down on the floor, cover your face, curl up like a ball. and We're just going to kick the shit out of you. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was, I was like the only girl in the group. And I was like, this is, this is how we train cup. Hey, what is this though. shit? Like, <laughs> that's that's some gang though, shit. <laughs> but it made me buck up. You know what I mean? Right. Not to practice. I'm not going to lie. Like I went into the girl's bathroom and I was the only one there and I fucking cried and I felt like a little bitch. But I was like, you know what? I got to buck the fuck up. Like, you know, it's not just about the music and the romanticism of it. Like, this is a martial art. And I got to, you know, there's certain emotions that go through your body when you're being kicked and punched and all kinds of shit comes up, you know? So it, it was really like an awakening call for me um, because I feel like capoeira is not really respected as a martial art in many parts of the world, especially in the Americas, because they hold back. And they're like, you know, they're like, oh, we'll give them enough that they can handle yeah, it's a dance and a cute, you know, because they're, they're, you know, they're trying to make their money. They're trying to not get anybody hurt. They have their nine to fivers that are into it as a hobby. They're, they're not really trying to bring it there, you know. So in Brazil, like I really got my ass handed to me and um, I respect it a lot more as an actual martial art. And here it's very common to find people that are fusing jujitsu and capoeira together because mm -hmm. the point is in capoeira, you get somebody on the ground. So what do you do to finish that right. off? You know what I mean? So especially in the street hodas here, like in Sao Paulo, Republica, you can look up um, some amazing hodas in Republica that these kids, you know, they taught themselves and they learned on the street. And they're like some of the most badass capoeiristas that exist and everybody's afraid. Like people that study in schools are afraid to jump in those street hodas because there's no fucking rules. Yeah, so, they get that. It's a whole nother culture here. I'm sorry, what'd you say? I said it's a whole nother culture here. You know what I mean? Like, definitely, um, you know, don't ever be ashamed of, you know, you and your boy just going at it and trying to learn what you can and practice moves. Because a lot of kids here in Brazil, that's the way they learn too, you know? Yeah, that would be great if um, I had like-minded individuals who were on that, you know? So I kind of been in like a Persian stage as far as like, you know, calling in my soul tribe. But, mm. uh, you know, it's definitely... I'm definitely been preparing myself physically to be on that level. But right. you know, that's, that's how it works. As soon as you cut out the bullshit and you know what I mean, the soul tribe comes in. Like you gotta make space. <clears throat> you already know we having this call, right? <laughs> yeah, so um yeah, facts. <laughs> but yeah, Capoeira for me is definitely something that has like I found like when I have like a lot of throughout the years, when I have like some serious injuries, Capoeira has been like a remedy like therapy has mm. has got me back to like being able to dance again and just do other stuff and just right. 
through the, the Jenga itself and that just that slow methodic movement that puts you in a trance like state and that right. also allows you, you to go into that meditation and think about other things or just like but it's just what I'm saying is cup water for me has definitely showed me um why it must remain <laughs> in my life and how I can't escape it because it does feel like home like when I hit a when I hit a Jenga I feel like I'm connected to everything like just those two mm. right there but you know naturally I want to you know have a hold up be with others but you know for the most part I'm I've, I've been able to connect with you know what it means for me and why I why I, I train Capoeira so you know, right well a lot of the you know original masters even you know Mr. Camisa which is um is a big farm out in Rio and when you go to his farm, he's like, okay, climb that tree. Try to do Jenga on that branch. You know, he's out there. He's like a little hippie guy, you know. And he's, he's really amazing because he's very inspired by nature. And um, the mestre that actually chased here in Brazil in 2003, mestre you no, know, he was the same. You know, some of the training would be like, okay, you see that lighthouse? Run to it and run back. You see that boat? Swim out there and swim back. Like, you know, they were just testing your limits and you know seeing your reactions when you're when you're completely exhausted you know like really they 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 would train in nature and take a lot of inspiration from nature and animals and you know most um you know masters are like that you know what i mean they kind of do isolate themselves and start observing nature and observing the animals and um you know even cabezada you know what i mean it's like from the ram you know it's like you watch goats fight and they give a hell of a fucking headbutt you know you're like wow you know it's like just watching the animals you already learn so much about you know the way they move and their dynamics and everything but um yeah capoeira is incredible i think it's one of the only i think the only other inst um martial art that i've come across in my travels that played music to kind of bring them into the trance like state was muay thai and i went to like a professional muay thai I like like I went to um a fight in Thailand and I didn't realize they have live music with every fight and there were these Yo. weird like dark like tribal instruments that were like really strange like, and they, uh, yeah yeah and they came out and they started doing their little dance and shit like yeah. I was like what are they gonna like battle what are they gonna do and then like that, yeah like that pulled them into that mode like they were in a trance like state and then they started pounding and i was like whoa this is some other shit like it was tribal as fuck you know <laughs> that's crazy it's like i watched a lot of documentaries on that like the movies on bach um right you know, right there's other documentaries there's one called uh, fight world on netflix with this mm -hmm. other you seen that fight world i haven't seen that no it's on netflix fight world great documentary but he talks he goes to thailand and documents um some of the like the teenage fighters and stuff and kids are um, they they are not a grown man i don't care what anybody say but uh, just like that's one thing i did when i lived in mexico for five months from 2016 to 2017 i did train uh angola with uh mestre i think his name was mestre ricky but before mm -hmm. that i lived in orlando and i was training with um mestre droge mestre droge and he was, I, I don't know what school, but he, I think he trained under, he trained under, I think the founder or something. Anyways, mm. it was Capoeira Gueros was the, the old name of the studio or the school in Orlando, but then it became Capoeira mm -hmm. Orlando. So you may or may not mm -hmm. know, but you met one of my friends, Ray Mosu de Leon. When you went, uh, what, I think what's his name? Ray Mosu. He was in Texas. He was like a military guy and he took your workshop. 
Oh, okay, yeah, 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 I know him. Yeah, he's cool. He brought yeah. He was like, bro, come do this shit, bro. You dance. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so like he uh yeah, he's raw, but like when he when I saw him like he had met you with this stuff, I was like, yo. That's crazy because, like, I've always wanted to meet her. But that's just, like, a glimpse into my journey at Capoeira. But I, I've been recovering from an injury, a, a knee injury. I try to do, like, you know that backflip when you go down and you just um, – you go down to, like, a pistol squat and you kick yourself backwards into, like, a double. Yeah, macaco, macaco. Yeah. Macaco. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I did that. Mm -hmm. My right knee popped, and then I landed oh, no. again. And then it was stiff for a couple of days, but I, like, you know, remedied it back. So I've just been, like, wondering, like, am I going to be able to, you know, get back to that? So nah. when, you know, when we get injured, that's when we focus more on the music and the songs and the poetry and, um, you know, still supporting our group in other ways. You know what I mean? That, that, that's the beauty of the holistic nature of Capoeira. It's like it's not all physical, you know? Now, um, do you think that's going to – do you think – I will be able to approach approach those movements again with the same confidence or more because of that. Because I'm not going to lie, like, I'm a bit sensitive. I think there's always going to be that fear there, you know, but it is going to teach you, um, you know, there's definitely small things you can do, like little stabilizer muscle stuff to make you feel more confident, especially when a place where you've been injured, especially if it was a knee injury and it was overstretched or something, you know, it's it's really good to do you know, like linear movements and, you know, even some people, they go back to the gym, they do, you know, movements where they're isolating the muscle until they feel confident to go back. But in the end all, when you do get injured like that, it actually makes you play better because you start to observe and be very aware of how you move and, you know, the small little qualities of the movements you're doing. So, you know, injury can be our greatest teacher, you know, so it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. Yeah, you may okay. never move the way that you moved before, but, you know, you will learn to move in a different way. And, you know, that's just part of the journey. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not a bad thing. You know, I appreciate that. That's definitely um, some motherly <laughs> advice because, like, you know, my pride was hurt. I ain't gonna lie. My pride was hurt. I was like, damn. But uh, luckily, I've, I have a few months to continue healing before, um, you know, my next opportunity. But, uh mm. Yeah, just like I, we pretty much covered up based on all the topics that I had thus far. But unless there's like some fun facts you want to share with the people or let them know or, you know, just actually, yeah, talk about some of your upcoming projects. Like what's what's popping? Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> Why are you in Brazil right now? What's going on? Uh, well, there's a lot going on. I'm actually um, I'm in the process, the production process of a new film. Mm -hmm. um, I'm working with uh, the Huni Queen tribe. And they have a, a beautiful, um, you know, for lack of a better word, a myth or a legend of theirs of how they found the ayahuasca root and how their people have been, you know, touched by this medicine. And they, you know, told me the story the last time um, that I was you know, sitting with them in circle. And I, I loved the story so much. It was so magical. And I thought it would touch the world. And I said, you know, I want to tell this story because it's only been passed on orally. Um, and I, I said, I want to I wanna make a film out of the story. So much like Nawu, it's going to be, um, you know, very uh, forward in his aesthetics, very like modern and 
Um, I mean, you know, I'm a little bit of a weirdo. I like the like a little alien esque, <laughs> like you know. You know, you put that sci-fi stuff for real, though. <laughs> like, yeah, I really, I really am, because it's like those blue people. They were real. I don't know who they were, but they were real. Uh-huh. I've seen them. So, oh, okay. Basically, like I showed them Nawu, and they were like, "This is cool. Yeah, okay, let's make the film." So I'm here in Brazil, and you know, we're in the whole production process, like storyboard, screenplay. It's all ready. It's like go, go, go. So I have a production company here, and we're working out the kinks, and you know, trying to keep things moving forward at a good pace. You know, even with COVID and everything. But um, that's my main project right now is is making this film happen, and I'm really excited about it because it's uh something for me that has you know been you know an oral story that's been passed from generation to generation and i think uh, to make a timeless film like that something that's going to live beyond beyond my lifetime you know so i get more excited now i've moved kind of past that um urge to make a lot of live shows even though i love live performance i feel like film is just so timeless and um i can combine like all of my skills and even things i really care about like preserving you know the culture of the honey queen um so it's it's uh it's a big project for me and something I'm really excited about. Yeah, okay. So are you gonna tell us a name or are you just gonna leave it, you know, ambiguous? Um, I mean right now Nishipa is uh the the word for, for ayahuasca for the root, the Huni Queen or Hansha Queen is, is their language. What's the song? So it's right now Nishipan. Nishipan. Mm-hmm. They have a really beautiful language. They're they're very interesting people. They actually um they, they don't have ownership in their relationships. The women are allowed to be with whoever they choose, and so are the men. And the kids are everyone's responsibility. It's not like, oh, that's your baby. Handle that. You know, the, the whole tribe is responsible for raising that baby. Um, and usually because they don't know whose baby it is, because it's open. Um, so I think that's really, to me, that was really interesting because I was like, wow, you know, Brazil is usually such a jealous country and everybody's like, why are you looking at her, you know? So the fact that their culture is like just open, free love, I was like, this is really interesting. Like, this is you walk in your room, like, hello there. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't expect you. <laughs> baby is it's really, okay. <laughs> yeah, they, they're not even concerned. Like, it's a baby. Word. It's our responsibility as a community, you know, so... That's like that's, a that's, level maturity, though, like, when you really, really is. Uh, put it in perspective. It really is. It really is, you know. So, yeah, they've taught me a lot, you know, they've taught me a lot. And I've ended up, you know, playing music, you know, house music for the chief. He loves it. He's like, okay, because you know, they're all about their shaker. And, like, they're very into that. Like, we'll play the same rhythm for 13 hours and ceremony going 13, 15 hours. And they're playing the same rhythm. So they really understand a lot from my house culture. They're like, okay, yeah, like it, it's that repetitive, you know, rhythm that pulls you into that trance-like state. And the indigenous here in Brazil really understand that. Even, you know, the Navajo in Americas, you know, they, they really understand that. They get it and they, they actually like house. It's interesting. Uh, so you like sessioning with them, teaching them house steps? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> they Yo, got their know, shakers like, like full on. Like. <laughs> We need some Instagram clips that have behind the scenes. Like, yeah, we do. Girl, well, I have I have my Navajo elder, Nelvin. He's like playing the beat and bow and stuff. He was like, what is this? And he uh, loved because, you know, the beat and bow has a little shaker on it. Yeah. So he was getting into the shaker part of it. And I was like, of course, <laughs> you know, the Navajo ass would love know. the shaker. <laughs> now that pinky finger takes a beating when you're playing beat and bow. So I was like. Right, right. So I want to uh, ask you this, but you don't have to disclose if you don't feel comfortable. But like upon meeting these tribes and stuff, how are you facilitating negotiations to like properly proper properly represent their tribe and their culture in your projects? You know, like how are you not crossing those lines or violating 
in any sense? You know, what what is the, the conversation like? I think it's really important to, um, you know, create a relationship with them first. You know what I mean? They have to feel who I am. And um, also I have to bring to the table, hey, this is what I can, you know, offer you. Like, how can I serve you? You know, my, my energy when I come to these communities is how can I serve you? What do you need? What do you feel like is not being heard? Um, and how, how can I translate? Because I am an artist, you know, maybe I, I, I can tr translate what you want to be said through these mediums. So it's really about sitting back and listening, um, speaking to the elders, going to the councils and, you know, saying, you know, what is needed for the community? Um, you know, just sitting back and just listening and observing and, and showing them your heart and your intentions. And, you know, they feel, they feel your soul. You know what I mean? They're um, not really judging you of what country you're from or how much money you have. You know, they, they really will just feel your energy. You know what I mean? And um, I mean, that, that, that's, I guess, the way that, um, you know, we can approach it. You know, any of us that, that are trying to come um, you know, these communities and, and say, hey, we, we're, we're touched by what your people stand for and we want to help, you know, and then just sit back and listen and then, then apply your skills and be like, okay, well, this is what I can offer. This is what I do. Because sometimes it, it's overwhelming, you know, like the problems that are going on in the world, the problems that these tribes suffer. Um, it's really can be overwhelming and you can just sit back and, you know, get depressed about it or angry if you want. And it's, it's about being like, okay, well, how can I apply the skills that, you know, God gifted me to, to do something, you know, it may not be everything that's needed, but I, I can, I can do something, you know, or I can at least, you know, maybe my skill is gathering people together and making something bigger happen. Or maybe, you know, it's like you with your podcast and getting the education out there and, you know, you may be people listening to this may be inspired and maybe they do have the connection or the money or, you know, like it's, it's, we all just do our part. That's all we can do, you know? Yeah. Productivity, you know, in this lifetime not aimlessly wandering. So like, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's something like I did wonder about because uh, when I was in Mexico, I got invited to go to a shamanic ceremony, but it mm -hmm. was, uh, I think it was ayahuasca, but it was out and it was deep in the jungle. Cause I was in Cancun, the Riviera Maya area. I was it was probably peyote. Peyote is really peyote, yes, Mexico. Yes. That's actually where it's from. Yeah, that's, that's a warrior medicine. That's a powerful medicine, very masculine. Right, so they asked me and stuff, but uh, I was there by myself and for an indefinite period of time. But you mm -hmm. know, I just didn't feel comfortable going out into the into the jungle because, let alone, like that's the real damn jungle out there. <laughs> so, and plus, like I was still under a pretense of um, me being black and going missing just because of, like me traveling alone. <laughs> so I'm being dead. That's a real fear. That's a real fear. But like, that's what leads me to my next question: Like, are you? Damn that shit and bricks when you're doing this stuff, like when you're out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I've been I've been in the jungle where I like you know we hiked for three days and oh. you know they're serving up dinner of some jungle rat with fangs and you're like what the fuck is yeah. that like you know and you get there and you know they're like all right we're all gonna sit around this fire and meditate now and you know you're hearing these crazy sounds like Rawr! and you're like that shit will probably eat me like this sounds like a bad movie like what is this. <laughs> It's okay. You can't escape. You can't run. It's just, you know, at that point, it's like everybody feels fear. Everybody feels fear. And you just got to remember, you know, in the face of fear, that's your choice. You know, are you brave or are you not? That's it. But everybody feels fear. You can't do that's anything. Normal. You're only out there. So yeah, as well, <laughs> suck it up.
Okay, you know, it's like, say your Hail Mary, whatever you need to do, because, like, you out there. But, like, yeah, that's one of the things that um, fellow travelers, like, I would say black travelers have, you know, in our community. It's just, like, certain stereotypes when it comes to the outside world. Like, for example, if someone were to go to Dubai and go, mm. let's say, on a, a desert excursion, camp down in the desert, I've heard right. this dialogue in the community, like, people be something, people would say something along the lines of, hell no, they ain't about to kidnap me. It's like, you know, I don't think that's a healthy mindset to be traveling with. You know, it is something mm-hmm. to be aware of, but like just certain stereotypes will, um, will corrupt, you know, really right. co- cultural experiences because, you know, you could really insult somebody just by something you consider just nonchalant. But, you know, I think it has to be a certain mentality and a certain um, heart in order to do what you do, to go speak to these tribes because you can't, you know, be a, let's say, Right. Low I mean, in person. in my experience, it's you know exactly the opposite. That especially like here in Brazil, um, you know that if, if they're meeting, you know, a black man from America is like the like honestly the most respected culture throughout the world. They're, they're like, wow, he's the coolest. He's got the most swag, and you know they got all this cool culture and da da da. So when they actually do travel everybody's got a million questions for you and they're just so amazed. They want to take pictures with you and you know, you, you guys are respected all over the world. So it's exactly the opposite. You guys are, you know, like at least shown, you know, of the American media, which is passed around the world. Like everyone's like, Oh my God, like if you're black and you got dreads, all of a sudden your name is Travis Scott and everyone wants to take pictures with you. And they're like, you know, it's exactly the opposite of, of maybe like, that fear that may come in their mind, oh, I'm just gonna disappear, nobody's gonna really care. Actually, you got an American passport, so that's kind of a big deal and that's a privilege, so you're not just gonna be able to disappear. But honestly, it's, um, it's exciting, you know, to see some of my black American friends, you know, tra- travel and see how well they're received and embraced, especially here in South America, where, you know, you're really like the most respected, like, like in the world, honestly, as far as it comes to music and culture and, it feels really good to leave your country and be embraced and be respected for what, what seems innate and natural to you in everyday life that maybe you don't even think is important to somebody, you know? Mm. Yeah, that, that's definitely a change of perspective. Uh, I experienced similar situations, but also a contrast as well. But, you know, I've never been to Brazil, but I know when I was mm-hmm. in Mexico, I worked at a resort on the entertainment team, but also I was a choreographer for their night shows. And um, mm-hmm. it was like my first month there, and uh, a bunch of Brazilians came. They was on a resort and stuff. And then they was like jockeying me. Cause they were like, bro, you look like one of the, the famous singer over here, bro. Like, oh my God, this is him. And I'm like, but they thought it wasn't him. But they were like, yo. <laughs> they don't care. They don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I was playing football with them on uh, about a pool and stuff. And like, they were always finding me to come hang out. So I was just like, yo, I need to go to Brazil because they yeah. show me mad love right now. They have a lot of respect, a lot of respect. Oh like hip, you know, hip hop culture, house culture, like they're just so like, wow, you know, they love it. They love it. But I mean, I can't speak for the Middle East because I haven't really spent a lot of time there. So um, I really don't know. You know, I think it, it really just depends. I know in Asia, you know, it, it's like black culture is so embraced. Black American culture is like, wow, oh my God. You know, like they're even perming their hair and, you know, dyeing their wait, skin, doing whatever oh, they can do. Like. <laughs> Uh, it's like a whole nother level. A whole nother yeah, level. You like, said, they do it all they do it all oh, no. they're pills, like but what <laughs> I'm saying is that they that the majority of the world respects the shit 
out of African black culture and they're like, you know, they're like American black culture. Like, wow, these are the coolest motherfuckers. Their swag is out of control. And maybe it's because it's something, it's exotic. It's the same thing. Like, you know, maybe for us in America, we're like, wow, Brazil is so cool. Jamaica is so cool. Whatever is so cool. Like anything that's not from the country is automatically you're, you're pulled towards it. You're, you know, you're interested. But I think it, it just, you know, it probably feels so refreshing for you to come here to Brazil and, and just feel how people value your culture. Maybe something that it's even hard to um, really pull your own culture like like out and observe it from an objective standpoint when you're in it and that's that that's all you experience. Like for me, I didn't even um, really value my my culture, my New York culture until I left and I was like traveling around the world and people were asking me questions about the loft and shelter and my experience in New York club life. And I was like, why do you care? Like nobody else cared. They told me to get my life together and grow up. And all of a sudden you guys care about my culture. And I didn't really think it was a big deal until I started traveling. And I realized people really respected the culture that I came from and the experience that I had and they wanted to learn from it. And it kind of, um, it helped me value like, you know, my own life experience and, you know, like my struggles and everything that, you know, you go through like that maybe you don't even have you know value for until other people remind you that it's valuable you know see and that's i think um you know we need to be our own best friends in that you know kind of what you said earlier knowing our value but you know see just sometimes hearing it from somebody else definitely does you know add that extra boost to your morale you know kind of like you know you encourage me with the whole injury stuff too so but um mm -hmm. what what is something that you want to share with not, not only the black community, but just uh, those who have dealt with systemic racism, those who have, you know, these creative endeavors and that are pursuing global travel as well. Like, what would you, you know, advise or provide with them, provide them with or leave them with? Mm. I would say um, it's, you know, focus on your, on your connection, your connection with creator, you know, like, because the system has just tried to desensitize us so much that, you know, we, we lose touch with our power. So, you know, try to focus on honing those senses and the things that connect you um, to, you know, that greater consciousness, you know, that the universe, you know, that universal consciousness that, that makes us, it just makes sense of everything, you know? So the more that we can connect ourselves with that, we remember our power and we remember our service to something that's greater than us. And um, it gives us that sense of purpose in life that's really necessary, regardless of what our, our background is or why we're here, you know, in this lifetime. I think um, that we have tools for that in music and dance and, um, you know, our expression, our voices are all tools that the Creator gave us. So, you know, use those tools wisely and with intention um, and, you know, you're going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> so... Thank you. Thank you, Amy. No, no, thank you. Words. Thank you. I want to say this has been a splendid time. You have provided us with a plethora of information, knowledge, insight. And um, you know, I'll be listening to this for days, you know, just pulling more tidbits from it, <laughs> helping better my life. <laughs> <laughs> like, on a on personal standpoint, I do want to chop it up with you more about, you know, just like certain endeavors and like how to go about the logistics when it comes to this abroad travel and you know, mm. I'm always here. Always yeah, here. Yeah, so Anytime. I definitely need that mentoring and that insight. But um And come to Brazil. Come visit. It's COVID, it's cheap tickets, you know, it's time to travel. Like, yo, just provide me the opportunity. I'm there. I got I got I'm good on the finances so, like, just 
Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, like, again, thank you for your time. And, you know, like, you want to shout out somebody, you know, people, anybody, pass some love along. What's up? That's the love. I pass love always to my crew, to Mawu, my ladies, my New York, you know, to my elders, to Nelvin, to Luz, Grandpapa Kyle, um, Big Fela, all my elders that keep me, you know, grounded and remember, you know, always remind me why I do this and they keep trucking no matter how, you know, how hard it gets, you know, a lot of love. Yeah, yeah. So y'all heard us live here on the podcast with this only ear to the streets. We're talking about student to scholar, educating y'all on hip hop culture and street dance and all the above. Today we had Amy Cicada representing NY and Brazil and her ancestry. It's been a wonderful time and it's been episode five. So we're gonna bring everybody down a few levels so you can cruise on out and vibe on out with a new DJ session from our DJ, Goddess Kiko. It's been a pleasure, Amy. Thank you once again. We Thank you. you. Pleasure's mine. And, you know, many blessings to What is up? What is up? It's your favorite DJ's favorite DJ, DJ Goddess Kiko. And we are getting into episode five. Can you believe it? Episode five of Students and Scholar Hip Hop Show with the Genesis Project. We have some special guests like Amy Cicada on the show today. And we have some amazing music from producers Sango and D-Caps. I'm so excited to present to you this mix that I made. I had so much fun doing it. I was jumping from junk. I mean, this has been so much fun. Now, before we get into it, make sure you visit the website, www.thegen7.com to find out all of what Genesis 7 is doing and what all the community is about. Make sure you hit that follow button on Instagram. I do follow back, goddess K-I-K-O. Now let's get right into it. DJ Goddess Kiko. It's going down. With DJ Goddess Kiko. I've been watching you like the.
push, vem com o chefe, 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 vem com o chefe,
Mas que peso crença, sentença desarma, lina do pós-esperança. Apenas para se amor. Espírito de luz que está em fronte. Artista mostras capar senta. Obituro com ser mais bonito. E se for Goddess, Goddess Kiko. Kiko. DJ, 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 D